Good morning. All right, this morning we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. So I invite you to please turn there. 1 Samuel 18. We're taking a brief break from our series in Mark, basically because the sermons had already been divvied out by the time I get in, got in on the, um, the sermon choosing. So uh, take a little bit of a break from Mark, but hopefully uh, what I bring out from this text, what God shows us is uh, there's some similarities and perhaps some insight can be shed, mainly on the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of his time that was going on in, in Mark. We're going to look at another conflict today in the Old Testament, and perhaps uh, it will show us something about, about that conflict and about the conflict in our own hearts, more importantly. So, 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 16. Hear now God's word. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines, Philistine. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel loved Judah. All Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Please pray with me. God, as we come before your word this morning, we want to be humble. We invite you to correct us through what it says. We ask that you would give us comfort and peace um, to uh, forgive us of our sins and to empower us to obey your word, to delight in you. And I pray that what I say and as we meditate on your word together, that it would be pleasing to you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. As I thought about this text, I thought about one of my favorite movies of all time, which is called What About Bob? It's from 1991. It's, it's an old movie. Some of you weren't even born then. But here's the basic synopsis of this movie. Before going on vacation, self-involved psychiatrist Dr. Leo Marvin, which is played by Richard Dreyfus, has the misfortune of taking on a new patient, Bob Wiley, played by Bill Murray. An exemplar of neediness and a compendium of phobias, Bob follows Marvin to his family's country vacation house. Dr. Marvin tries to get him to leave. The trouble is, everybody loves Bob. As his oblivious patient makes himself at home, Dr. Marvin loses his professional composure, and before long, he may be ready for the loony bin himself. I love this movie. You don't have to, maybe you've never seen this, but 
Love this movie, but what made me think about it was at the beginning of the movie, you've got Leo Marvin. He's in his beautiful office in Manhattan looking over. He's just released his book. He's going to be on Good Morning America. He says, everything's falling into place just as it should. And he takes on this patient, Bob Wiley, who's got all sorts of problems. And he's the last person that you would think that Dr. Marvin would be jealous of. But that's really what happens throughout the course of the movie. And if we think about our own lives, sometimes we're jealous of things that, uh, I guess, perhaps it would be unexpected that we would be jealous of. Perhaps even the people that we love, maybe people in our church, our own family, that something happens to them, perhaps maybe something good, and when we witness that, maybe something arises in our own hearts, and perhaps we feel like we should have that thing uh, instead of them. So I think this is very relevant as we think about jealousy and as we think about the conflict in our own hearts. So I believe that God's going to show us something about himself. That jealousy really drives us away from God and others, but the gospel sets us free from its deadly power. And we're going to look at that uh, in three points. Point number one, a joyful song and a jealous response. This is what's happening in verses six through nine. So the context of this passage is it's right after David had killed Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, awesome chapter, chapter that we love to hear in Sunday school. Little David slays Goliath. God gives victory to his people. And this is the scene right afterwards. So Saul's coming back. The armies are coming back. And as they're coming back into the cities, the women came out and they're singing. They're singing this song. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. It's kind of similar to the way to uh, perhaps when a, um, a sports team wins. The city uh, of that sports team, they'll have a big parade. And everybody will come out and, and it's a big celebration. It was kind of like that. Now, I used to think that the women, they were simply rejoicing that God had used these two men uh, for victory. But one commentator pointed out something that I hadn't seen. It was the absence of God in their song. You may remember back in Exodus chapter 15, right after God had brought his people through the Red Sea, God had rescued his people from certain death, from the Red Sea itself and from Pharaoh's armies. God came through, saved his people. It was the the defining salvation event of the Old Testament. And what happens in the next chapter? Moses teaches the people a song. And it's all about how God rescued them. They were facing certain death, and God rescued them. And this is the song, this was the number one hit that everybody was singing as they emerged from the Red Sea uh, unharmed. But here, it's all about Saul, and it's all about David. It's very likely that they were simply interested in who was the big hero. Saul had gained great victory for Israel, and then comes David. This is a great country. We've got these great leaders. It keeps getting better and better. And who knows what's going to happen next. But David knows how to glorify God. If if we were to look at 1 Samuel 17, over and over again, it's not about his own victory. It's about God's honor. Who is this Philistine who is taunting the armies of Israel? Who is this guy who is defying the God of the army of the angels? And David goes out there in defense of God's glory. But here it seems like Israel and Judah are more focused on their own glory. The glory of their own leaders. The glory of their own heroes. 
Now what happens next is something that happens pretty often. Saul takes this song in the worst possible way. Maybe some of them were singing it sincerely. Maybe they were thinking about how God had rescued them. Maybe it was all about their, their leaders and about uh, their heroes. But Saul takes this song in the worst possible way. He says, They have credited David with ten thousands, and only me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? David, or Saul in this moment, he doesn't care about the victory. He doesn't care about David and the good that God had done through him. All he cares about is what? His kingdom. He cares about the blessings. He cares about all these things that he used to enjoy when they made him king. Everybody was all about him. But all he sees is David as a threat to his kingdom. This joyful song makes Saul jealous. This is really a conflict that shouldn't have been a conflict. Saul shouldn't have seen this as a threat. As we'll see over and over in the story of Saul, he had many opportunities to repent. He had many opportunities to admit that he had done wrong. And sometimes it even appears that he repented. But it turns out in the end that his heart was not truly focused on the Lord. And that's why God took the kingdom away from him and gave it to David. But think about yourself. What tends to make you jealous? What tends to make me jealous? Think about these three questions. Do you view the success of others as a threat to your personal worth? Kids, if you're in school, when someone gets a better grade than you, do you feel like less of a person? Or what's your response when someone else gets the award that you thought you deserved? I thought back to fifth grade. And in fifth grade, I was all about basketball. This was the time of Michael Jordan. This was 90s in Chicago. This was a great time to love basketball. And I wanted to be a basketball player. And I used to play basketball every single day. Now, just looking at me, you could probably tell that that probably wasn't going to be my destiny. But nonetheless, I thought that I was a really good basketball player. And the school that I went to was a fourth and fifth grade school. And we would do a basketball unit in P.E., and the gym teachers would choose some students to play in this fourth grade versus fifth grade basketball game. And lo and behold, I was not picked to be in this game. And I remember sitting on the sidelines, looking around, and pointing out, not really in my own heart, my own mind, pointing out those that I thought, oh, I'm surely better than him. Surely I should be the one out there. This, this guy wasn't any good, or at least not as good as me. Uh, but it, it happens, uh, perhaps... Uh, without us even thinking about it. It happens so easily that this occasion presents itself. For me, it was that basketball game. For Saul, it was this song. I don't know what it is for you, but it can creep up on you. And uh, in one moment, you're focused on God and you're focused on His glory. And then someone gets a promotion. And then someone gets that better grade. And that emotion that was not there before is there and you've got to deal with it. So what happens when we don't deal with our jealousy properly? Verses 10 and 11 tell us how unchecked jealousy leads to violence. And this really mirrors what's happening in the Gospel of Mark and this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. It keeps escalating. It keeps rising. And we all know the story that it ultimately leads to Jesus' uh, unfair, unjust accusation and his death. 
Unchecked jealousy leads to violence. Let's see how it works out with Saul. It says, The very next day, God sends a harmful spirit that really makes him go crazy. It says, An evil spirit from the Lord came forcefully upon Saul. Now, we don't know exactly if if this is an evil spirit. Uh, Perhaps it was, well, maybe it was at God's disposal. God allowed this evil spirit to torment Saul. Or perhaps it was a spirit from God that used to work for good for him. We can see in 1 Samuel before this story how God's power, how the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he was able to have great victory over his enemies. And it's very likely that this spirit that used to work for him, that worked for God's victory in Israel, now it was working against him to remind him and to to punish him for continually turning away from the Lord and for continually... Uh, doing what he wanted to do. Um, It says, excuse me, it says he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Now this word prophesying, uh, it it really means that the Spirit was upon him. Now we know in some cases in the Old Testament, the Spirit was upon the prophets and they were prophesying They were speaking God's truth. At times they were telling the future. But here this spirit was controlling Saul, but it was was not a spirit for good for him. He was really a a mentally and spiritually unstable person. Uh, When you think about it, it was Saul's instability that led to David being there in the first place. The prophet Samuel had told Saul, the Lord would have given you the Lord would have secured this kingdom for you forever, but you disobeyed him. And now he's given this kingdom to another who seeks the Lord after his own heart. So it's this, it's this instability that causes this to happen. Now David was there trying to calm Saul, calm Saul. It was this music that was supposed to calm him. It was supposed to settle him down. But Saul, again, taking things in the worst possible way, he tries to calm himself by killing David. He lifts a spear and says, I'm going to get rid of him. This guy is, is, uh, is not good for me. If you continue in your jealousy and fail to see God in your situation, you will justify all sorts of evil behavior. When you fail to see God in your situation, you will use all sorts of evil behavior and you will justify it. One thing that I've been teaching the students in youth group and I want to continue to do over and over, is to ask the question, where is God in this situation? When you're angry, when you're jealous, where is God? Now we know God is, God is here, God is everywhere, but when we have this sinful anger or this sinful jealousy, what's happening? We're, we forget that God is in control and we're really making ourselves God in that situation. If you do something that I don't like, I punish you because in my mind... I'm thinking that I'm God in that situation. And Saul, in this situation, he wasn't thinking about God. He wasn't thinking, well, maybe I should have repented for what I did before. And maybe I'm kind of getting what I deserve. And maybe I should just be asking for God to have mercy on me for what I've done. And for the things that I failed to do that I should have done. Uh, Instead, he only sees himself and he sees everyone else as a threat to him. Again, in the, the illustration, what about Bob? In the end, the only thing <clears throat> excuse me, that he can do with Bob is that he wants to get rid of him. He calls it death therapy. He says, Bob, the only way I can get rid of you is to kill you. 
and just like in this story, he doesn't succeed. But this is what we want to do. When we put ourselves on the throne of our lives, we want to show wrath. We want to punish others who don't exalt us and lift us up. And this is the twisted nature of our own hearts, uh, apart from God working in us. <clears throat> so what is at the heart of the problem with Saul? This is what we see in verses 12 through 16. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. Saul's problem wasn't really with David, it was with God. God had rejected Saul and had chosen David instead. We see through what happens that Saul was more concerned about his kingship and everything that went with it. The job of the king was to worship God and to lead the people in the right worship of God. And Saul... He took it for himself. He took it for what he could get. He loved it when everybody was singing his praises. But when it came down to it, when he, when he had failed and things began to work themselves out and God began to exalt another, David wasn't in, or, excuse me, Saul wasn't interested in God. He only cared about what he could get from God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can be there too, even if we're Christians. Sometimes we say that I will serve God if he gives me this. Or I will live my whole life for God if I only get that. If he gives me a spouse. If he gives me a nice house. Or if he puts me in the right place where I want to live. We sometimes put these conditions on serving God. And if we don't get them, sometimes we get really angry. And sometimes we abandon altogether. Abandon God altogether. We see Saul spiraling downward and downward while David rises higher and higher. It's almost comical. He throws the spear at him twice. He doesn't accomplish what he's trying to do. Saul, who's the king, he has everything. He's jealous of this guy who comes and plays music for him. Saul was alone, and he sends David to do what he can't do. He eventually sends him away. And that's what jealousy does. This is what unbelief, this is what sin in general does. It pushes, you push other people away, you push God away, and you're all alone. But you're not happy. I mean, look at Saul. He's, he's an emotional wreck. He's a spiritual wreck. Uh, he's a mental wreck. And he failed to do what John the Baptist did uh, a few hundred years later, perhaps a thousand years later, in John chapter 3. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy. When he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine and it's now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. This is what Saul should have said. 
This is what you and I should say when we're bitter or angry at God for not giving us the things that we think that we deserve. He must become greater, I must become less. This is the refrain of the Christian life. This is the song that we can sing if we come to God through faith in Jesus. Through faith in the one who was actually pinned to the wall. Actually, he was pinned to the cross. Saul wasn't able to succeed in pinning David to that wall, but Jesus was nailed to the cross so that he could rescue us from the fact if we don't get these things in this life that we want, then our life is over. Jesus came to die in our place so that when we have him, we have everything. And that no matter what's taken away from you and me in this life, we have all that we need because we have him. And we can say, he must become greater and I must become less. No matter if you're exalted in this life, no matter, no matter if you're demoted, no matter if you get what you want or get some of what you want, Jesus did this. He actually took a place that you and I deserve to be in. We deserve to be nailed just like Saul deserved to be nailed. Somebody should have taken him out and eventually he was taken out. The reason that you and I are not taken out, Christian, is that Jesus was taken out for us. He took that wrath that you and I deserve for our sin. And real quick, when, when I think about the kind of life that Jesus calls us to, uh, we really see this in the first few verses of chapter 18, and I'm indebted to uh, my old pastor in California for this insight. Look at the way that Jonathan, who was Saul's son, look at the way that he responded to David as he was exalted. This is verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and bow and his belt. Jonathan was next in line to the throne, right? He was Saul's son. He sees what God is doing through David. He sees that God's hands upon, his hand is upon him. And he makes a covenant with him. He loves him. He attaches his life to David's life. And not only that, he removes every sign that he's in control. He removes every sign that he's the king. He says, I surrender to this one. I surrender to this one who's going to be king. He doesn't leave anything back. He doesn't hold anything back. He, he comes to David and he says, I submit myself completely to you. And this is what we do as Christians. This is what we do when we come to God. We come to Jesus and he says to us, he who comes after me must deny himself. Whoever wants to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his sake for me will find it. We're tempted to think that to live for God and to live for his glory, we lose something. That's why, well, that's why some people aren't here today. That's why many people in Anne Arundel County are, are doing something else this morning because they don't think it's worth it to hear what God says. They don't think it's worth it to submit their lives to God. But we know as Christians that through Jesus, through what he has done for us, we have everything in him. And that's why it's worth it to worship him. That's why it's worth it to sometimes lose in this life to gain ultimately what we can't lose. Again, Jesus is your treasure, dear Christian. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm a lot like Saul. That's good. That's fine. But there is hope for you. 
Saul wasn't willing to, to respond in faith and repentance. But even if you've never believed in God your whole life, maybe uh, you've lived your life and you've been bitter. God is willing to receive you. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will not cast him out. I will not cast her out. No matter what bitterness you have in your heart, no matter what you're, where you're up against in your life. Jesus says, come to me and I will receive you. And you will have eternal life. You'll, you'll even have strength in this life uh, to live for him and, and be willing to lose, even though ultimately you gain everything in him. Let's pray to him now. Our Lord and our God, we come before you and we admit that you are the God, you are the God of the universe, you are the king. We pray that we would submit ourselves to you just as Jonathan did in, in this passage. And that when we see how much we're like Saul, we would flee to you. We would come to you asking for forgiveness, having hearts of repentance, but you would, but that you would also give us trust in Jesus. Just as you exalted David, he's a picture of Jesus and his, his exaltation for us. And he is in heaven for us right now, interceding for us. And if we're with him, we're, we're with God forever. And I pray that that would cheer us through this life, that even today that we would remember how much we have in you, uh, no matter what we might lose in this world. Thank you that you hold our reputation and that your reputation is what uh, gives us our life. Thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.